0: Do you know a cha-cha from a waltz? Are you a professional wallflower? Well, then listen up, Pit Squeaks, because we got the podcast for you. Eat your wheat cakes, refill your web cartridges, and stow away your civvies. It's time for the all-new Amazing Spider Talk.
1: Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle. All the questions and the webs left out to tangle. In 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-offenders. Of the amazing spider Of the amazing spider Talk. The amazing spider talk. I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com.
0: And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die.
1: Well, thanks everyone for joining us for the first ever episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Both Mark and I have been collecting Spider-Man comics our entire lives and eventually completed our chase of collecting every issue of Amazing Spider-Man. For the past four years, we've been discussing everything Spider-Man related with each other, Spider-Man's various creators, and with you, our listeners.
0: Yeah, Dan, the Amazing Spider-Talk has always been about you and I passionately talking about the past, present, and future of Spider-Man. And that's what we're going to do today for the most part, I think, right? I mean, in this season, we're going to be talking about the creators of Spider-Man, none other than Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And, you know, if you're going to talk about Lee and Ditko, why don't we start with the book that started it all for the first time ever in this show's history. We're actually going to talk about Amazing Fantasy number 15.
1: Now, of course – if you haven't read Amazing Fantasy 15, which it's hard to believe, but there <laughs> are people out Why are you listening there, to a
0: Spider-Man show?
1: <laughs> <laughs> go and read it. You can find a copy of it just about anywhere, uh, judging by our tone. You can find it in print, digital, on the Comixology app, or as part of Marvel's unlimited service. It's pretty much everywhere.
0: And if you have, like, $20,000, you could buy a decent copy of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if you just have $20,000 to spare, you could buy Mark and I a decent copy of it. Exactly. So whether you've read it a million times or not at all, we hope you enjoy our episode entitled Amazing and Fantastic Origins. Spider-Man, how did it come about?
0: Well, I had already done the Fantastic Four and the Hulk, and we were on a roll, and we decided, let's get another hero. And I thought to myself, okay, but the thing with a superhero that you have to get is a unique superpower. Well, we already had somebody who was the strongest guy in the world, somebody who could fly, and so forth. I was thinking, what else is left? Then it—I've occur- told this story so often, it might even be true. I, I can't remember, <laughs> but I was sitting and I saw a fly crawling on the wall, and I said, "Wow! Suppose a person had the power to stick to a wall like an insect?" So I was. Often running, and I thought, what do I call him? I tried Mosquito Man. That didn't have any glamour. Insect Man, that was even worse. I Road went down the face. line, and I got to Spider-Man. It sounded mysterious and dramatic, and lo, a legend was born.
1: Well, Mark, like we said, Amazing Fantasy 15. it's a story you've seen told a million times in a million different ways. Peter gets his powers from a radioactive spider bite, and instead of using them for good of mankind, he's selfish and seeks out fame and fortune, but, like always, fate has a way of teaching powerful lessons, and in the death of his Uncle Ben from the very criminal he let get away, he learns, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. We've seen it a million times, Mark, but when Spider-Man burst on the scene in this amazing and fantastic issue... There was a lot already going on at Marvel. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the history behind this issue and kind of where this reveal of Spider-Man finds itself in the timeline of human endeavors?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, I mean – you know, just for for some context here, I mean, the publication date of this issue was August 1962. This came on the heels of uh, Fantastic Four and and the Incredible Hulk already being introduced by uh, Stan Lee and the House of Ideas, Marvel. Um, and you know, after those two creations, Stan wanted to do something a little differently. Uh, and he, he wanted, uh, for Spider Man, a teenage hero, someone, and someone who didn't look like a traditional hero. That was kind of the big thing about it. And, uh, first he, he turned to his trusted, uh, artist, uh, compatriot Jack Kirby. And, you know, on Kirby's first take with the character, he actually created a very traditional looking hero. Basically looked like Captain America, but with a, a magic ring that, uh, gave, the 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 person spider powers so Lee was just like this is not what I'm looking for so instead he turned to the more uh, mercurial Steve Ditko who was more of a monster mag uh, mystery uh, guy that at Marvel and Ditko like immediately took to the idea he came up with uh, Spider Man's kind of Gangly, uh, creepy aesthetic—you know, with the with the wall crawling and and just like the the thin, gaunt uh, physicality of, of the character. Uh, in fact, when when Stan saw some of the initial pages, he was worried that Dicko had gone too far, uh, and that the the Comic Authority, which you know, you know controlled the the content of comics, uh, was was going to maybe not. Not approve of Spider Man because, you know, the the code was very, the authority was very, uh, anti, uh, monster, people looking, people being monsters basically, like there were no vampires or werewolves or, or anything of that nature at that time. They thought maybe this spider creature could, could cross that line. So, you know, Lee took the idea to his publisher, Martin Goodman, uh, who immediately shut it down (laughs) because, Uh, he, Martin Goodman was like, well, you know, spiders are icky. Who's going to want a hero based on a spider? Plus why is this guy a teenager? Don't you know, teenagers are just sidekicks, which at the time was mostly the case in, in comics. You had Robin, the boy wonder was a, was a teenage sidekick.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, even just the word teenager, which is on the cover of this issue, you know, this teenager hero, uh, the word teenager was still relatively new as like kind of like an American word in, in the lexicon, it, it came wi- became widespread in like the late 40s. So this is only like 15 years later. Uh, this term teenager was really, you know, kind of a new thing. So like that hook for a character was still a pretty novel one.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you know, that was kind of what Marvel was all about was about trying to find these characters that were more relatable than than your average comic book characters. So, you know, Stan Lee, being the persistent person that he was, um, he you know kind of looked around to find where he could stick this new creation in, and uh, he turned to this comic book series, Amazing Adult Fantasy, uh, which had basically just rebranded itself as as plain old amazing fantasy. Apparently the, the word adult kind of gave even back then different kind of connotations to it. Uh. Yeah. There's a
1: great letter in amazing fantasy 15 that from Stan Lee addressing the future of the magazine, but also saying that like kids were writing in saying that they felt uncomfortable uh, buying a book that said adult on the cover. And I mean, we can all understand why.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Um and you know whether, you know, this is a part of the mythology of Spider-Man that's a tall tale or not. I mean, we'll we'll talk about this over the course of the season, but you know, Stanley uh in in hindsight explains it that hey, He wanted to get spider-man out of his system apparently amazing fantasy even with the rebranding was on the verge of cancellation so he was like i'll stick him in there as one tale of many others right dad because this isn't the only only story in this comic
1: no there's three other stories uh that are kind of like um i I would say edgar Allan poe-ish or like twilight zone stories there's the bell ringer um, which is about a guy on an island that rings a bell during, like, the apocalypse. Uh, there is mm-hmm. Man in the Mummy Case, which is uh, about a man who's hiding from the police and hides in a mummy, uh, I guess, sarcophagus and gets transported back to Egypt times or Egyptian times. And um, there, there's the final story, There Are Martians Among Us, which is a favorite of mine. Uh, it's, like, you know, very Steve Dicko It's got this great twist where you think that Martians are landing on the planet and they're being sought out by the police. Everybody's scared of them and this couple are scared of being caught by the Martians. But it turns out they are the Martians in the end and they're scared of being caught by the police. That's always been a personal favorite of mine. I mean beyond the Spider-Man story.
0: (laughs) I mean these are interesting stories in that. I mean these are a really good snapshot of what Marvel comics essentially were before the the dawn of superheroes and that you know and that publishing line took over. I mean these were the kind of stories that they were pumping out. I mean, you know, the Distinguished Competition had uh, their their superheroes like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and, and, and all of them, but even still like Marvel was, was trying to more or less print stories that um, you know kind of captured Trends in, in 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 fictional storytelling at the time, whether they were westerns or you know, Stan Lee will talk about doing you know Millie Millie the Model stories from the <laughs> from the fifties and early sixties. So you know these these kind of like cryptic uh, macabre uh, stories or alien Martian stories. I mean that that was I mean these stories are kind of dime a dozens, but the fact that they're they're standing alongside the first Spider Man tale, I feel, is a really interesting juxtaposition of you know wh- what the medium was at the time versus where it was going to be drastically shifting and going
1: yeah if you uh, look in the back of the issue there's even like a voting uh, opportunity for you to vote on by writing in a letter what your favorite story from the issue was and the next issue would print the favorite story from the fans so it was really like a just you know you can dictate where we're going with this book if you want to
0: right you know, before before the comic was released to the world, we we got a cover which you know the initial Steve Ditko cover was actually rejected by Standling, um for, I think I wisely.
1: That,
0: yeah, yeah. Although that cover ended up resurfacing a few years ago as a variant cover for Amazing Spider-Man number 700, and 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 it's not it's not a very dramatic cover, but I do find it interesting that. Um, You know, we turned to Dicko because he had a different kind of aesthetic sensibility. uh, But when it came time to make a big, dramatic, striking superhero cover, he turned to Jack Kirby. I mean, you know, Kirby Kirby did the cover, you know, so.
1: And that uh, cover probably is what sold the character. You you know, people opened it and found a wonderful tale on the inside. But that iconic cover is probably the, you know, the reason you can read a spider-man comic today is people saw that and thought i have to own this book
0: yeah and 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 you know right there on the cover and on the inside we are introducing spider-man and it's spider-man with a hyphen in those places but oddly enough throughout the rest of the book dan it's there's no hyphen in spider-man so someone called dan slot because he would probably lecture you on twitter about that hyphen (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, it wouldn't be the last time they mixed up Spider-Man's name <laughs> in the pages of these books, but more on that later.
0: Yeah, but but that's so that's the general history of of how this book came to be. Um, but but let's let's talk about this this comic. I mean, you know, it, it's obviously it's it's the most significant comic in in Spider-Man history for good reason. Um, but I mean, just on its own merits, not just because it's his origin story, but Um, you know, Dan, you and I have alluded to about this over the years. Like, this is a damn good comic in terms of its structure. I mean, the most amazing fact about this comic is that it's just eleven pages and, and you and Lee and Dicko just just work everything into this character, you get a full story. You know who these characters are. You, they, you, get, you get world building. I mean, it's 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 just astounding that there's this much content packed into so little, so few pages.
1: Yeah, there's not a wasted panel. I mean, it's got to get across so much information so quickly, but that means it's on Ditko to really crystallize the perfect image for each panel to get everything across. And you know, I think. Not to short-sell Lee, I mean, because Lee does some wonderful writing here, but if Dicko wasn't able to, like, get so much character across in all those little things, like, we talk about Uncle Ben all the time, and, you know, and and the rest of the series will be built on, like, this kind of warm-hearted Uncle Ben, but there's really no evidence of that in the script here, you know, he's just this kind of, like, uncle that shows up for, like, three panels, Maybe not even three panels. Right. And uh but Dicko his drawing of Uncle Ben is just so warm. Like everything has just gotta be perfect. I mean eleven pages. There's no room to mess around.
0: Yeah, and and even in the instances where there is not I'm say room to mess around, but uh room to um, you know i 'm thinking in specifically the splash page the splash page it 's it 's just that one image that very famous image of of Peter uh, kind of being you know, cast away by the other teenagers at at the school, with the the shadow of Spider-Man looming over him. But like, there's so much symbolism in that opening image, and this is this is what we're talking about in terms of Ditko storytelling. I mean, even when he just has one image to sell a story, he sells an entire story in that one image. I mean, you have the hand of Flash Tom, well, who we will later learn to be Flash Thompson, kind of pushing Peter out of you know out of the image, almost with that with again the shadow looming over him I mean it's it's just showing right from the from the get-go who these characters are what the relationships are uh, you know where where Peter stands in the pecking order you know the, the the cruelty of the teenagers that he is operating with which is a theme that uh, is obviously very relevant today I mean I guess that's just something that doesn't go away unfortunately um, it, it, it's it's not even just about Packing a lot of images onto one page with like you know the the the, the kind of quintessential Dicko nine panel uh, spreads. I mean, here we got we just got one page and like you just instantly learn about what these characters are about. That's I, I mean it's it's just stunning that one image can sell this much.
1: Well, and that would set you know Verdicto very much a, a precedent moving forward for this title. He would always open with that one big splash page, whether it was to sell you on the contents of the book or or whatever, and uh, I think Lee too, he really like brings his full storyteller you know uh, spirit and the kind of energy to his words to this page, selling you on this is a tale like you've never heard before. you know he's really hyping you on this thing as as he does, he's the ultimate hype man, and uh, you know I, I, in this case, I don't think he's wrong. Uh, so you know, yeah, I mean talk about a a, a, a debut.
0: Yeah and you know meanwhile we 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 get to meet our hero Peter Parker here but you know what's interesting and, and Dan you and I will will you know spoiler alert talk about some of these things in more detail next week uh, or next episode when we talk about uh Peter Parker's character but I mean just right here you know in in these in these little glimpses of Peter uh for a hero I mean you know obviously Stan's kind of Bravado talks about this not being the usual kind of superhero story, but again, in terms of lead heroes here from a personality standpoint, Peter is very unusual. I mean, do you what, what, are, what are some of your thoughts about what we see with Peter here?
1: Well, I mean, I think it, it's unusual but very relatable, which is I guess like Marvel's whole thing. You know he's inviting them to go to a science exhibit, and nobody has any interest in that. And, you know, I, I think too much is made about, like, Peter's kind of, um, I guess, social outcast status. I mean, I, he definitely is. Um, but he is trying to engage with his friend, you know, his peers to, in some regard initially. But it's the reaction to that that's so interesting. Is that the minute they shun him, he throws up this wall of kind of, like, I guess like the self-enforcing wall of kind of anger and, and I'll show them like, you know, like literally saying, I'll show them, they'll be sorry, you know? And it's, uh, it's someone that's kind of, they're cruel to him, but he is also cruel back.
0: Yeah. And, and I feel like there is an element of, of self-absorption here, which is, I mean, you know, like, yes, he's, he's trying, but like, you know, whether this is intentional or not you know the responses are like i've told you a million times peter i'm not i'm not interested in this and it's kind of like it makes you wonder you know the story before amazing fantasy 15 what was what was peter doing is he is he just you know so so into his own little world that he's not not listening to other people uh does he think that you know That their opinions don't matter because, you know, he thinks this is great. Thus, you know, it's, you know, I kind of feel like I'm dealing with my, my, my five-year-old here.
1: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I I was thinking (laughs) about myself talking about comics to people that don't read comics. Right,
0: right. But, you know, (laughs) like, like. Like I know you're not interested in this, but maybe if you just hear it one more time from me, you'll reconsider you know because <laughs> because the fact that you're not interested in this I find uninteresting.
1: <laughs> he does ask Sally Avril out, so good on him, you know, yeah. like he's yeah. got a little bit of balls there,
0: yeah, and you know we 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 you know after asking her out we we get to the famous scene in the you know in the laboratory where where you know they're doing the radioactive experiment with the spider and the spider bites him and of course you know there's a lot going on contextually in terms of what's going on in the world at this point Dan I mean what what are what are I mean what are your, some of your thoughts on that in terms of the 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 radioactive experiment and 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 the results of that
1: uh, Well sure I mean uh, I don't think it's a mistake that all of these marvel characters were kind of born out of some kind of radioactive radioactive thing whether it's gamma rays or uh, what are the rays with the, the Fantastic Four? Is it just, like, space rays? Well,
0: cosmic rays. Here yeah. you go, know,
1: cosmic <laughs> rays. It might as well be space rays. Right, uh, right. I, I want to lock down what exactly a cosmic ray is. Um, solar radiation, maybe? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any mistake that this kind of science-oriented birth of these characters. I mean, we would eventually see in the movies him to go on get bit by, like, you know, bioengineered spiders, which makes even less sense than getting bit by a radioactive spider and getting powers. I get stung by bees all the time and don't turn into bee man or swarm. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I know. Me too. But um uh yeah, I mean there was definitely like the you know, the nuclear fear, you know, going on in the country and uh there's a been a lot written about these these stories in relations to like you know Russia and the Cold War and uh, things like that. I mean, you could certainly read this issue of Amazing Fantasy fifteen as kind of like a parallel to America's participation in World War two. This kind of like uh, very self centered, looking only after its self interest until you know it's a, a, a personal defeat causes a kind of radioactive uh, retribution or retaliation. I mean, you could read as much politics as you want into this, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that, like, the radioactivity stuff is, like, very much reflective of the kind of, like, pop culture of science in the early 60s.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the the atomic age in, in America, and we're in the world at that point. And, you know, so after after Peter gets bitten by this spider we we get this this very uh quick but effective introduction to his powers you know he's he's bending steel pipes he's he's jumping onto walls to avoid traffic and you know something that always struck me and and i feel like this has also been the case of every iteration of spider-man and you know one of your favorite critics uh Roger Ebert pointed it out when he was reviewing the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie that he was disappointed about this reaction as well. Is the fact that, you know, for someone that's kind of, you know, in his own head and kind of an out, you know, as an outcast, is, is, is aloof character, I always found Peter's very kind of happy embrace of these powers to be a little off-putting. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, I, yeah.
1: I think it's I think it's married successfully in this comic with a kind of, like, surprise. You know, like he – the only reason he discovers that he can climb walls is because a car almost runs him over. And the only reason he finds out about crushing steel is because he's climbing the building and, like, goes to reach for the next thing to, you know, to climb up and ends up crushing the pipe. I, I think you're right, but I think – this book gets away with it to a degree because it's so surprise oriented.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 to me, it's the big. It's it, even more than the powers themselves. I think it's the it's the biggest suspension of disbelief that um, this character would would be so so willing to embrace this because you know right away after he. He runs through these powers. He he starts to think of ways to augment himself even more. I mean, you know, like he's immediately trying to think of how he can he can capitalize off of these powers. And, you know, one of the first things he does is, is he engineers these web shooters, which is like. You know, it's such a, it's such a passing kind of thought, but like you know, when you actually stop and look at it, and we've talked about this before, it's probably like one of the greatest inventions in superhero comic book history, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that it was like Lee and Ditko's way of kind of getting away with flying for a character that didn't have the power of flight, and you can almost imagine the like idea room on this is like, can spiders fly? No. Well, what can they do? Uh, They can shoot (laughs) webs and swing on them, which is awesome and is probably one of the biggest appeals to the character. But it was probably just born out of some dumb discussion about whether or not spiders can fly.
0: Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like we spend all this time – you know with Peter like he's money money issues and financial hardship is such a major theme of these early issues, and yet you know, if all he did was just patent those web shooters, he'd probably be set for life
1: <laughs> they do they do retcon it later with the oh, it only lasts for an hour, so the adhesive is not good for anything right but, right, uh, right. <laughs> but yeah it, it it is a funny thing to think about you know he's this this kid that's sitting on all this kind of like intellectual genius uh yeah.
0: yeah um and then you know kind of keeping with the theme of both moving the story very quickly but also still packing in all of these very telling character moments you know one of the things i really love is you know when peter decides to you know try and make a name for himself you know the first thing he does is he goes to this wrestling match with crusher hogan not bone saw not not macho man Bonesaw, sauce randy savage <laughs> <laughs> But one of the first things he does is, rather than just get in the ring and challenge him, is he he puts a mask on and, and he puts a mask on himself. It's it's just a mask of his webbing, essentially. It's not the the Spider Man mask because he's 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 basically wrestling with his car, the sweater vest and and jeans, right? Is that I mean, I, am I am I misremembering that? Or, no, um? no,
1: that's right, that's right. Yeah. I mean, there's not <laughs> even really any like eye holes for him in the mask. He just kind of see a faint outline of his face through the webbing
0: right but but the character moment here is he puts the mask on in case he fails and and that to me is such a again going with this thing about the conventional hero versus the very unconventional hero i mean this is a very unconventional thing i mean you know the fantastic four they they all had these powers when they were introduced and and there's no i mean they have they have matching costumes but they're not covering their identity and obviously like you know even with 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 Superman, I mean, Batman, it's a whole other thing. But for the most part, these characters are not – it's not that they want to show their identities, but they're not hiding their faces. It's, it's. There's no um, fear of, you know, what if I fail and I need to, you know, crawl into a hole and die somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and right. And that's what you're getting here. And I, and I think it's a really pivotal uh, early moment because, I mean, obviously it sets the stage for – all this other drama and turmoil to follow. I mean, it's a brilliant sh- stroke of, of character development to to have Spider-Man in a mask because it creates so much tension for the character down the line. But, you know, just in this one moment, it, it, it kind of goes back again to that very first panel of the story of this character that is unliked and, and, and kind of pushed aside by his peers. And even when he has something that would make him the, you know the 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 bell of the ball so to speak <laughs> although if he said bell of the ball he'd probably get punched by flash thompson uh <laughs> um there's still he's still kind of shirking to that that person he once was in terms of i i i can't just be out in and, and and proud and happy about this
1: yeah and then you know another character beat for him would be like the minute that he doesn't fail you know he Decides to just adopt the mask thing and make money, you know, as a you know as a on TV personality. Well, he's approached to do that and immediately leaps at the at the chance, which I think pretty much anybody would, you know. Um, but he you know he chooses to do that and remain masked, uh, you know, a, a, again to kind of keep everything like under wraps. It, I never really understood why he decides to not show his face in that instance, but I'm sure it's part of his T V contract, uh in some regards. I don't think he's necessarily thinking about accruing enemies at this point.
0: Yeah, although, you know, as we as we will later later learn, even you know, with his T V contract, he they don't know he's Peter Parker.
1: <laughs> it's yeah. like,
0: they're just they're just giving checks to Spider Man, which is just kind of weird. <laughs> so you know, we, we, yes, like you said, he becomes this TV star, which I guess if today he would be more of a uh, viral internet video star, which is more or less what the current MCU is exploring with the character. I mean, was that was that your takeaway from Civil War?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think it's like an uh, an inten- intention on his point. I think it's more like people happen to see him. Like uh, the, Tom Holland's Spider-Man seems like he's trying to keep it much more like under wraps than this version of Spider-Man is where he like literally seeks out the spotlight and is doing candle tricks and stuff on the equivalent of the tonight show uh, at the time,
0: you know, these, these, these bits on TV that he does, of course leads to the, the, you know, the, the pivotal moment of this story or, or, you know, what would seem somewhat innocuous, but would very quickly turn, turn out to be the pivotal moment, which is the burglar running past him in the studio Uh, cops saying, you know, stop the guy, Peter going, that's, that's your job, you know, worth noting because I, you know, we've had a bunch of movie versions of, of this origin story that both kind of showed it, you know, being more spiteful and like, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to get that guy by not getting the guy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I'm going to stick it to that guy. That's not really what this is. It's just Peter, being pure narcissism yeah yeah exactly like like <laughs> i got better i got better things to do buddy you know it's not it's not like he's trying to screw over the promoter or the cop or anything like that but um and it doesn't need to be cuz cuz you know again this this comic is set up so expertly that you know this this little innocuous thing get, you know turns out to be so critical and and it's juxtaposed here where immediately we have this scene with uh, Peter and Uncle Ben and Aunt May and, and uh, Uncle Ben and Aunt May have gotten Peter a microscope and you know, he's like, you know, just like it's what he's always wanted and, and they just, you know, he's saying to himself, these people are so good, they're the only people that have ever been good to me, they're the only people that I will look out for um, once I become the superstar that I'm destined to become a Spider-Man and, and, you know, lo and behold you know, like he's saying, in that earlier scene right there, I'm only looking out for myself, but then, you know, I'll look out for these two only, except what happens, Dan? Spoil the story for us, Dan.
1: <laughs> he comes home, and Uncle Ben has been murdered. What? Oh, oh no. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Dan. And I got to say, one of my favorite panels in this entire comic is the one with him, like, putting his costume on after this. He looks so. Furious. He's got it half on, and he, and he's a much different looking person. He's, his body's a lot bigger. The way he's drawn, it's just a very coiled anger that you can see in this image. I I I, I love that image in this book.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree with you about that. And although I, I <laughs> just another like like hindsight thing, I always found the cop to be very almost. Callous in the story, <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, yeah, hey, you, the guy, yeah, your, your uncle's dead. Sorry,
1: your aunt's in there. She's,
0: she's a little, she's a little upset right now. You might want to stay away.
1: <laughs> Here's five dollars. Uh, Go see yeah. a Star Wars.
0: So, so maybe that explains the the anger. <laughs> like, oh I'm gonna get this burglar right there. I'm gonna punch that cop.
1: <laughs> and then you know this this murderer is holed up in the acme building and the right. cops can't go in and get him uh so it's up to spider-man to go in there and get him you know lest he shoot up a bunch of cops you know as they try to get in there or he sneak off into the darkness uh, avoiding being caught so peter feels you know it's my duty to go and do this uh i mean otherwise do you think he would is he reacting at a of course, he's reacting to anger here. But is there a version of the story where the cops go in and get the cop, and Peter just kind of remains an angry guy and 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 bitter guy?
0: I guess there is. But you know, does he become Spider Man after that? Even if he learns who the 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 burglar was, I don't. I don't. I don't know. You know, I I feel like him making that discovery you know at his own two hands is is what is the is marks the transformation of the character.
1: So yes, we're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves but yes, he does do that discovery surprise everyone. Uh the burglar is not none the murderer is none other than the burglar from the previous chapter. Uh and not to mention this book is split into chapters weirdly enough.
0: Yeah, it was at least, what, th- two chapters, three chapters, I think? Yeah,
1: almost? I think it's split into two at the around the Johnny Carson or whatever, Tonight Show. I think length. it's Ed Sullivan it's supposed Ed to Sullivan, be. Ed Sullivan, Ed yeah. Sullivan, my, my mistake, yes.
0: Oh, it's okay. It's a really big show. <laughs>
1: so, uh-huh. yeah, um, he encounters this burglar. One of the things I love about the encounter with the burglar is that it really saves that punch for people that aren't jumping ahead by kind of masking the burglar's face at all times. Uh, I think mean, today we might say it's a little too obvious in that regard. He's got his hand covering his face, or it's always in shadow. But that reveal image is really powerful, even though Spider-Man has weird holes in his lenses that resemble the kind of Spider-Man costumes you go and buy at Party City these days.
0: Right. Well, what, 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 what you don't know, Dan, is that... Um... Outside the Acme building, uh, a man named Flint Marco is sitting uh, with a car that he's warming up. And he's actually the one that killed Uncle Ben. No!
1: <laughs> Stop! I flatly reject that.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Spider-Man 3. And your, and your fans, all three of you.
1: <laughs> and then, of course, you know, upon this revelation, Spider-Man realizes his error and reflects on it while walking away sadly down the street, and then Mark, what does Uncle Ben say to him?
0: Well, Uncle Ben doesn't say anything to I him. know because he's dead <laughs>
1: he's dead
0: and and you know outside of talking about wrestling him over wheat cakes we, we don't really hear a lot from Uncle Ben in this comic um, but but what the voice of the the omniscient narrator says is, uh, with great power must also come." There must also come – excuse me. I'm messing up the quote. With great power, there must also come great responsibility.
1: And, and then this
0: would – I would say then this would get a tribute to Uncle Ben <laughs> at some point.
1: <laughs> but really it was Stan Lee. So we say thank you, Stan Lee, for being the omniscient narrator.
0: Yes, I I'm, uh, I'm very happy you enjoyed my my Shakespearean dialogue.
1: Well, let's talk about this this uh motto that would kind of go on to become like the credo behind Spider-Man and what he's most associated with, even if people are misquoting it. Um right. you know, it's a very powerful lesson and one that I don't really necessarily think is repeated f- in the following comics until kind of I think Stan Lee Rediscovers that that was kind of a hook to the character, um, but it makes for a really powerful lesson in in this story. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, and you're absolutely right. We're, we're, you know, when we talk about these Lee Dicko issues, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe the first Spider Man quit story. I mean, it does, really doesn't get referenced much at all. Um, <clears throat> certainly in the initial thing. I mean, but that that sense of um. The lesson that Peter takes from it, I think, is, is, is omnipresent, but just like those that were word, the words themselves. But I mean, you know, like today, those words are I mean, they're some of the most famous words in comics. I mean, you know, I, I oh, where was I the other day and and I was watching something on TV and and someone started saying with great power must also come. And then someone said great responsibility. I said, no, no. And they made some other joke. I mean, it's like it's just it's so part of the zeitgeist 50 plus years later
1: yeah and so we're going to have a whole other episode discussing the creation of this book and the character, and who is owed for what um but you know, like there is a real feud between Stanley and Steve Dicko over who did what for this comic to create this character, but it's funny to me, especially in regards to this lesson, that Steve Dicko takes so much ownership over this tale. Um, and we're going to discuss Dicko's objectivism in a future episode, but I can't think of a comic that has a more anti-objectivist story contained within. I mean the whole point of this story is that thinking about yourself and pri- prioritizing yourself over others – is about the greatest folly that you could make often to the detriment of the people you love surrounding you. It's weird to me that Steve Dicko would kind of take so much ownership over this story.
0: You know, it's I I don't know, Dan. I I, I seem to remember reading Atlas Shrugged and reading about all these characters on an island with, you know, basically keeping their talents from the rest of the world and the moochers saying to themselves I got to get back. It's my responsibility.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, that's not what Atlas Shrugged is. Trust me, I read all 1100 pages of it. It's not what it is. <laughs> it's the opposite of that.
1: <laughs> but like so but wh- where do you land on that? I mean, where did this kind of this story did this story come from Stan Lee? I mean, is that very point and we can discuss this in greater detail later, but is that very point that the moral lesson of this story really kind of tip its hat towards this being Stan Lee's you
0: know, thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I, in some of the research I did for uh, the book, um, that quote is pretty plainly attributed to Stan. Um, Dicko Dicko had nothing to do with it, and and I mean, granted, it's, it's the dialogue, so that was Stan's anyway. But it was like that that lesson was not on Dicko's radar. Dicko Dicko was more concerned about you know creating this character's world and his physicality uh and trying to keep things grounded um and you know stands moralizing and stuff and i mean in fact Dicko kind of would not not specifically that phrase but in general Dicko would kind of stick his 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 nose up at stands, any of stands moralizing, not just with this comic, but with anything, you know, it's like, these are just comics. Why are we trying to teach people something?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> you know what, one of the things in the letters in the back of the book is that like, you know, people really reacted to S- Spider-Man in, in this issue. So positively, that's why he got his own series. Eventually, you know, this amazing Spider-Man. Um, right. I, I mean, I think without that moralizing, there's not really much to this. I mean, we've come to love Spider-Man's powers, but I don't really think that's the reason anybody reads a Spider-Man book. I mean, you might love his web shooters and all that stuff, and trust me, I do. It's like happy circumstance that this character with such a great moral backbone and interesting character happens to have great powers as well. Um, but it is that moral, I think, that's really the heart of this story.
0: Yeah, and 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 to be honest with you, I think this is, the moral is what elevates this story, not even just as a great Spider-Man story, but I mean this is this is considered one of the greatest origin stories and comic book stories period of all time, and and I think a lot of it has to do with um, the morality of it. I mean, okay, you know Uncle Ben is probably the most famous dead comic book character next to Bruce Wayne's parents, but you know again similar to Bruce Wayne and Batman and kind of what Batman took from that moment of his life and how it kind of cauterized him to take up the mantle of being a hero. Um, you know, Peter recognizing the error of his ways and how it resulted in the death of his uncle is, is what steeled him to become Spider-Man and, and that kind of twist and showing the, the folly of a character and, and how they can, work towards a path of redemption, even though that path is, is essentially infinite, he'll never reach it because it'll never be enough to make it even for himself, uh, is is the, the the heart and soul of this book. And, and very few comic book stories at this point in time had it, and I still feel very few had it since, right?
1: Well, it's, I mean, it's that moralizing that allows us to buy into the powers, allows us to buy into Spider-Man, you know, st- you know, Marvin uh, Martin Goodman was probably right. People weren't that interested in reading about a Spider-Man. Well, they were interested in reading about this kid that learns a powerful lesson. You know, and like all of that stuff, the Batman, it's all goofy on its surface, but it's the character and its story that makes us so interested in it. And I agree with you. I think there are a few characters that have kind of been grounded in such – uh, heartbreaking tale, or one that reveals a character so clearly, even with expanded page numbers. These 11 pages are so much more clear than so many other uh, characters are. I mean, I think even compared to Superman, you know, uh, I, I think you really get so much more in this. But I do think that this um, kind of became the template. I don't know if they ever got it as right. Again, But it became the template for kind of the Marvel Universe and their origin stories going forward. I mean this linking of the acquisition of powers to a moment of personal failure or tragedy for the hero. I mean so many people would get their powers through some accident that killed their family or whatever. I mean even the Spider-Man – amazing Spider-Man movies would try to link Peter's power acquisitions to the death of his parents and some secret formula they were working on and and, you know to the failure of that story but like this became the template for all those stories moving forward
0: yeah i mean it made it much more character driven i mean like certainly you know the contemporaries or the ones that predecessors i mean it was all and they got the you know fantastic four hulk thor they got their powers by accident you know it was like you know like they just happened to be you know standing there when something awful happened or they got cosmic rays or whatever you want to call it. Um, but, and, but the
1: difference between them and Spider-Man is that like, even with like Daredevil is they got their powers because they were already good in nature. You know, yes. the fantastic yeah. Four were trying to do, you know, an endeavor for mankind. The Hulk saved uh, another person's life and got his powers. Yeah. Daredevil threw himself in front of a, you know, a truck. Right. Spider-Man right, right. was accident. But it was his mistake.
0: Yeah, that made and it I would, special. And I would say probably the most similar in terms of you know and using that template. And they came after Spider-Man, so it made sense. Would be Tony Stark and Iron Man, and then Stephen Strange as Doctor Strange. Both exactly. of them kind of, you know, ha- and 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 in, with that in mind, those two origin stories next to Spider-Man are generally considered kind of the holy grail of Marvel origin stories in terms of you know self-contained, well plotted well-characterized origin stories Um, so it's no surprise that they kind of took the spider-man template and did their own little twist on it and and were successful in it
1: so are, are we safe to proclaim this clearly biased as the greatest origin story of all time
0: i i think it is because um and yes clearly biased but you know, what always puts this over the top for me in terms of origin stories is not only is it a very famous story, but in the context of it, it, it's it's told so well here. I mean, you know, we Batman has a very famous origin story, but, you know, this is something from the you know late 1930s. It's it's it feels very hokey and dated. I mean, it's not until Frank Miller updated it through year one that it kind of became this epic story and with superman i mean you know the the fact of the matter is superman has a very famous origin story but you know about 10 15 years ago in all-star superman grant morrison and frank quietly they told the origin in one page (laughs) i mean which is was brilliant storytelling on their part but the same token was like it just shows kind of how shallow that origin is um whereas you know there's a lot of depth and substance to Spider-Man's origin, and um, I don't think anything surpasses it in, in the medium.
1: In fact, I would say all the updates to it have only been detrimental to Spider-Man's origin. I mean, not to get into like chapter one and all that, but even stuff like when they go back and they recolor it with modern colors they, like and they, and they print it again i don't like reading it that way i mean i'm sure yeah. it looks better but like i like the classic look of this i i wouldn't change a thing about this and every new detail we get whether it's silk the other person that got bit by the spider which i can't <laughs> still can't get past uh <laughs> like all of it is detrimental this story is perfect and it deserves to be untouched
0: excellent well i think that's a that's a perfect ending point for this conversation dan Spider-Man, a Spider-Man, a does
1: whatever a spider can, a spins away any catches these or...
0: So thanks for joining us for our first episode of our first season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, TAN. Our next episode will be out in two weeks on July 19th. What's the title
1: for that show? The next t- show's title is going to be, Who is Peter Palmer? and that's that's not a mistake who is peter palmer and we're going to be looking at the earliest origins of the man behind the mask peter parker we'll discuss what about the character is so enduring and what has changed about him from lee and dicko's original creation basically we're going to finally put it down who do we think peter parker is
0: so you know the 150 plus episodes of You and I complain about this is not who this character is. We'll finally have some context.
1: Great. Perfect.
0: (laughs) So for uh, also for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man volume number 29 by Dan Slott and Stuart Imminen. Uh, remember, for just three ninety nine a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B book reviews, mailbags, and more. And then for $10 or more a month, you get access to commissioned artwork. Uh, you'll also be supporting the continuation of the show, which to me is the greatest reward of all. What could be better than that?
1: Nothing, Mark. Absolutely nothing. So uh, everybody, be sure to click on the banner that reads friendly neighborhood spider talk members club over on superior spider or you could just simply go to patreon.com slash superior spider talk or just look up superior spider talk there and you can sign up and get all those exclusive episodes mark you're a man of the internet where can we find you on the internet this week
0: yeah, Dan, as a man of the internet, you could of course, find me on Twitter, at ChasingASMblog, find me on ChasingAmazingBlog.com, find me on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, and, of course, order the book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Dan, how about you?
1: Well, you can actually find me over on your site, ChasingAmazing, as well, because you wrote an article all about how wonderful I am last week. It is true. So thank you for that. Um And uh, you can find me on Twitter bragging about how Mark writes articles about me over at at SupSpiderTalk. And, of course, read all of the writing of myself and our wonderful contributors over at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Mark, it may not have been Uncle Ben who originally taught us Spider-Man's immortal lesson, but that doesn't make it any less true. What were those immortal words, again, written by Stan Lee that would reverberate throughout history?
0: Yes, Stan, I believe, Stan wrote, with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk.